I'm Lisa Bontesumi, and this is the Ath Mindset podcast series on sports epreneur. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. Eric Kazimoff of Sports Epreneur is generously hosting the Ath Mindset podcast series on his platform as he deeply believes that these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. This is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide. If you are looking to start a podcast or create original content, you have to talk with the team at Sports Epreneur. I work with them and I vouch for them. It's that simple. Go to sportse.io to learn more. Well, thanks for taking the time. Dr. Chris Winter is joining us. Oh, of course. You know, I love it. I love that you're here, that you're prioritizing the space. So I am deeply grateful for it. I mean, you're a man of many identities. (laughs) You're a doctor of neurology. You are a sleep expert. You are an author. You're a sleep consultant to many professional teams in many leagues, including the MLB, NHL. WNBA, NBA, NFL, and the U.S. women's soccer team. I mean, and these are just your professional identities. You have many more identities, I'm sure, but it's just cool to be able to connect with you and your expertise and all your experience. My first question to you is, as a neurologist, you prevent, assess, diagnose, and treat issues that impact the nervous system, right? How did you get interested in the specific area of sleep? Yeah, well, thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor. I think of you as a real bright spot. I love hearing you speak, so it's fun to be here. The sleep thing happened really sort of before the neurology, which was interesting because I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I wasn't sure what kind. And so when I went to to the University of Virginia as an undergraduate student, I was working with a pulmonologist who was a sleep doctor and you're making some money doing some research and hopefully kind of experiencing medicine and, and getting my name on a paper because I thought that might help me get into medical school or something. So all of that kind of started first. And then the neurology came later. It was, I kind of got interested in neurology in medical school when a psychiatrist who I was working with said, you know, you seem to like psychiatry and the mind. You might really like neurology. So I, I did that kind of early on. And then the two just kind of came together. It was so interesting. I mean, I, if you had asked me in high school, I probably would have been a pediatrician or something. I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But it was interesting when the, I wanted to do this sleep research for this guy, but I really need to focus on becoming a doctor and doing that stuff. And then at some point at the end of my neurology fellowship, I got a call from a guy who wanted me to join him. And he said, there's a hospital that also needs some help starting a sleep center. And, you know, it was kind of at that point, I was like, I've been in sleep research for so long. I don't want to leave it. I like it. Mm. So I you know, became a neurologist that specialized in sleep, but they were kind of independent until the very last minute. I don't know. It was just so much luck involved in all of that. Just dumb, stupid luck. That <laughs> I met this wonderful mentor and the community has been so nice. And I had barely, I'm sure, got into medical school and... You know, all those things just kind of come together and it just worked out really well, but I couldn't have planned it any better. 
So it's fun to be able to say, I think I've been in sleep medicine longer than I can legally drink or something like that or buy fireworks or something. (laughs) So, yeah, I I mean, that's funny. No, I had no idea. I had no idea that it kind of, I mean, I don't believe in just luck. So I think there's luck involved, but I think everything kind of comes together. I agree. Now, as it's supposed to, right? So it's a really cool story. We sometimes don't know what we don't know. And we don't have passion for things that we don't realize till someone kindly point that out and we can explore that direction. So I, I love that. I love it. It's funny you say that because some of my favorite things that have happened in my life have been me trying to serve that role as the sleep doctor mentor for this person who's come to work for me and undergrad student or something, even if it's just for a few weeks or a little project. But I get so much satisfaction when I hear Noah Green, this guy who came to work for me and his parents said, I met them at some point and they said, you don't have to pay Noah, just give him some candy and money to buy meat. I'll never forget. I thought that was the funniest thing. Like he's this poor college student. I guess he's eating ramen noodles and wanted protein. So they give him candy and meat and he'll do anything for you. And he did some amazing work for me. And now he's this big time circadian researcher, was at Vanderbilt, and now is out in California. And it's just, and knows 10 times more than I do. So it's just so cool that, you know, find somebody's kind of adrift and expose them to what you feel passionate about. And maybe you show some of your passion. And then it gets transmitted like a virus. You know, that's probably not a good analogy these days. But so a good virus, a healthy virus, yes, healthy, exactly. a helping virus. Exactly. Lisa. A fighting virus. Yes. No, I love that story. I mean, you become who people were for you. So someone gave you that little nudge, that little exposure, and now you're doing it. And I think that's super cool. Yeah, it is. And sleep's so much fun. I mean, it's a fun thing to talk about. It's a fun thing to be involved in. You're never at a loss for a good story or a conversation starter. So. It's not a hard sell. Well, tell me, how did you become so passionate about sleep and what is so interesting to you about it? It's something that touches everyone. I don't meet people, you know, on an airplane or something. Oh, what do you do? I sell insurance. What do you do? I'm a sleep specialist. I specialize in sleep where somebody's like, hmm, I've never had that, you know, like, oh, okay. You know, like, <laughs> and they go on to their Sudoku puzzle or whatever, like, it's like, so like they didn't know that existed. Or I do this weird thing in my sleep where I go to bed clothed and wake up naked. What do you think about that? Like, (laughs) and you know, sleep is just one step removed from like sex. It's kind of like, so when you're talking about sleep, it's kind of intimate, you know, like, what do you do when you sleep? What do you do with the person you sleep with? What's going on at night when nobody's looking? And so I don't know. It's just kind of this fun shared experience and everybody's got something to a question or a comment or an interesting story. So, you know, sometimes I would get on a plane and somebody says, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a neurologist. Oh, like a brain doctor. Yeah. Well, my grandma's got Alzheimer's and then that was it. But sleep, man, I tell you what, if you want to stay along at a dinner party, tell everybody there you're a sleep specialist and (laughs) grab your drink and sit down in the corner and hold court. I love it. I mean, I think what it speaks to is that it's universally relatable, is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. And it's universally relatable and something that we know a lot about and know very little about, and or maybe think we know a lot about. Well, my grandma says that if you want to 
sleep well, you sleep with a knife and a fork and spoon under your pillow. Yeah, right. So, hell did right. grandma come up with that? So even just that is like, uh-huh. so yeah, I guess everybody drinks out of a cup. That's a shared experience. There's not a lot of questions about that or mythology. And, and I've always said that sleep is this cool science that is at this intersection of real science, like real like cardiology or nephrology, pulmonology, but also myth. I guess heart doctors might feel that like love comes from your heart and, you know, like, and the people thought that all kinds of things were going on in the heart before they realized it's all about the brain. But sleep is definitely the land of myth and legend and weird dream interpretation. And so I just find it to be such, and it's inclusive. It includes pediatrics, includes psychiatry, it includes exercise physiologists. It includes everybody. Like nobody's sort of outside of the sleep world because it's sort of this domain that influences everything. Yes. No, that's cool. I love that. I love that. I think that first I want to just comment on anyone who's listening to this, not all doctors are as friendly and relatable as Dr. Chris here. <laughs> I'm already enjoying this conversation, all the all the ways it's twisting and turning. So I appreciate you being the dude that you are here in this space. My pleasure. <laughs> so it's interesting. You're talking about the myth, but I also know you believe that sleep is a skill. I do. Yeah, I do. I, I think that it is something that we can improve and get better on. And you mentioned I work with a lot of sports teams. I'm not a huge sports fan. I, I like it, but I'm not rabid. And I think that's probably a good thing. Uh, you know, I think that athletes kind of have a sense about them that and they kind of smell it on you. Like, you're way too interested in me a non-professional way, you know, like, in fact, sometimes my kids will come back, oh, did you meet such and such? I'm like, I don't think so. And then, what do you mean? Like, it's that he's the star. And like, well, I don't know, maybe he doesn't have a sleep problem or, or you did meet him. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize. I remember the first time I met Tim Lincecum from the Giants. The team said, we want you to come, we want you to do some work, we want you to talk to somebody or whatever. And I was like, okay. And my kids were like, oh my gosh, Tim Lincecum's like this crazy pitcher and he's, a, they call him the freak and everything. And so when I got there, I kind of sat down in the locker room and this dude sat down next to me and I was kind of like, are you the uniform guy? Like, I, I didn't say that. But I was thinking, are you the guy who collects the uniforms? And so we just kind of sat there and looked at each other and he's like, I'm Tim. I'm like, oh, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> like I was expecting, it was always interesting that team to be around Tim Lincecum and Matt Kane or Madison Bumgarner. It's like right. small, medium and large. And just the ability that guy had to throw a baseball. But anyway, so I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the sports kind of lends itself to that thing. I mean, sports is a skill. Like, you know, and hit a curveball. I can't hit a curveball. Well, I've been a good coach. She could teach you how to hit a curveball if you really paid attention to her. And so I think sleep's like that. Like, oh, I can't sleep on an airplane or I'm terrible at taking a nap or it takes me three hours to fall asleep. Okay, well, we can improve that. And I think too many people think of sleep as a trait. I got blue eyes and brown hair. Can't do anything about that. Well, no, you can't. But that sleep's not a trait. Yeah. It's more than that. It's much more of a dynamic thing. And certainly there's aspects of it that are genetic, but you can do better. And, and that's empowering, I think. Yeah. Wait a minute. Okay. I need to show you. Our listeners aren't going to see this. They're going to hear it. I just wrote down empowering right when you said that. <laughs> I, I, can, oh. I can verify for your listeners that it's true. <laughs> I'm that guy that gets pulls up to the audience who's like, yes, that is what I wrote on the five of spades. Oh my God. No, I can imagine how it would be empowering. I mean, yeah. to know that you can impact your ability to sleep, 
have quality sleep, the amount that you sleep, and that it helps in recovery, especially with athletes, which is key to injury prevention, healing, amongst other things. I mean, wait a minute. I I don't know if you intentionally brought up the Giants, but you know I'm in the Bay Area here and the Giants are my team. I love both the Giants and the A's, but that's my team. So I could totally relate to all the guys you were talking about, which is kind of cool. Side note. Just to be clear, I don't work with them anymore. I do work with the Dodgers, which was exciting to beat them. (laughs) But the Giants are a wonderful organization. I know a lot of those guys. And I think the reason they got rid of me is because I taught them everything about sleep, but now they know more than I do. So there's no need exactly out there. I'm sure that's the case. I'm sure that's the case. Absolutely. becomes the teacher. (laughs) Absolutely. What does that look like? What does that look like, Dr. Chris, to teach a professional athlete about sleep? Like, I know you do sleep evaluations. Is that a mm-hmm. part of it? Like what, it is, what, what yeah. would like a course of work look like? You know, it's, it's similar to what I would do for a patient. You know, I always tell teams that my job is not to become a party organization. It's to maybe help facilitate mm-hmm. a culture where you talk about sleep and talk about it in positive and uplifting ways, not negative punishing. You got to be the first person at the training center and the last person to leave, or you're not invested in the giants or the Dodgers or the Indians or whoever we're working with here. Like, and an athlete would say, my shoulder hurts when I throw, they would say that. And there would be no shame. Oh, you're a terrible person or you're a lazy person because your shoulder hurts. But we have a weird thing in this country. We don't consider sleep disorders to be medical sometimes they're almost more like personality flaws Mm -hmm. if you're dealing with a client you're an accountant and you're sitting there talking to a client you kind of nod off in front of them or something Mm -hmm. or boss catches you i remember one time i was dealing with a nurse and she got caught falling asleep standing up at that little machine that has the drugs or whatever and the next day she came to work and there are all these signs that said just as a reminder like to nobody specific that falling asleep on the job is a fireable offense what if she had a seizure? Right. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, I you mean, know what? Falling down the ground and shaking and urinating on yourself is fireable. No, you would never do that. So to me, you know, part of working with athletes is to understand that hamstrings hurt, shoulders hurt, your mind gets kind of screwed up, you doubt yourself, you go through your O for 19 and you're freaking out because suddenly you've forgotten how to be a baseball player and Sleep is a big part of all those things. So we want to create an environment. You don't have to have the answers. You just need to be looking for places where you can help and intervene. And I can teach you the answers. Sleep science is not rocket science, for God's sakes. And if you don't have the answers, just give me a call. But we want to create an environment where people are coming forward with those things. I am exhausted or I've got twins now. And when I go home, I don't get any sleep where people can be honest. I was dealing with an NBA player one time. I had two kids, one wet the bed almost every night. And so not only did the spouse not want the kids in their separate beds, but they weren't dealing with the enuresis and they were all four in the bed together. He's like, man, he's, I can't wait till we go on the road. Like I love being on the road because I need to be away from this kid who wets the bed every night. He said, because I go to bed like not even wanting to go to sleep because I know it's going to happen. So like, let's yeah. just get it out of the yeah. way. And you're like, this is a guy who kids have on their wall. You know, yeah. so to answer your question, what we do with athletes is what we do with patients. And that's why I always tell yep. teams, look, I'm not that great of a sleep doctor. You can get all kinds of good sleep doctors out there. I can give you names of 20 that are I look up to. 
But you definitely want somebody who deals with patients and not just some, we're going to invest in this technology that you wear on your wrist. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, he or she is just a person who's struggling with sleep and fatigue or something. And you know, the more experience you have in seeing those kinds of things clinically, the more you can impart that organization. You know, I think that textbooks that these athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches use should have, okay, well, here's chapter 19 on how to fix an ankle that's been sprained and how you wrap it properly and how you do all those little physical therapy tools and all the stuff they use and heat therapy and all that stuff. And chapter 28 should be common sleep problems and how to, to address them or at least get the ball rolling in the right direction. And so I think that'll be the case 10 years from now. You know, they'll be, oh, we don't need you, Chris, because we're getting trained in that in our programs that are helping us take care of athletes, you know, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I, I hope so. I think that'd be a fun chapter to write. I think that'd be awesome. I think yeah. that'd be awesome. I mean, I think the areas of study and practice that we're in are similar in a lot of ways. You're in sleep. I'm in athlete mental health. And I think it's interesting because you very similar. Fun. In fact, yes. Lisa, nine times out of 10, when I'm with a team, I'm like, I'm pretending to be a mental conditioning coach. You know what I mean? Like, because that's what sleep is, isn't it? Like, yes. And so I love sitting down and talking to people like you within organizations because there's so much crossover. It's like you and me and the nutritionist. We can all sit down and have dinner together. It's so much fun because the nutritionist is kind of pretending to be the sleep doctor at times. And they're pretending to be the and you are getting all kinds of complaints about sleep oh my god my husband's gonna leave me and i just can't sleep about it i'm just you know and so i need to get you ready to perform but i also have to deal with this thing that you've got going on in your mind and and make no mistake i mean sleeping is a mental condition it is a mental practice and the biggest obstacle to great sleep for a lot of people is fear it can be fear of all kinds of things fear of a creepy uncle was passed away 10 years ago, but he used to come in my room at night, you know, and I just, every time I go to bed, I think about that. Like, even though it's not going to happen, it's kind of irrational, but this is what's going on with me. So a lot of people can create almost a PTSD experience around an action that many people are just like, "Mm, I just go to bed. I don't really think about it. You know what I mean? Like one time I'll tell you an interesting story. One time I was talking to a patient and he said, my father passed away. And we had a very awful relationship until the end when we really reconciled, it was fine. I had no grudges to my father. He passed away. I went to the house to get it ready to to clean up with the realtor and sell. And I walked into a study and almost threw up because that's where I would come home from school. My father would be there. And if there was something, if he was angry about something, whatever, he'd take off the belt and just hit me with it. Wow. And he said, and I remember thinking about that, that two people, a realtor and this guy walk into a random room in a house. One person has a visceral reaction to the point where they're about to throw up. The other point's like, hmm, this is a nice study. This will sell well. Like, we'll want to feature this in the ad for the ad. A lot of people are like that when they go to bed with their partner. The partner's like, go to bed, whatever, more I stay up, I don't care. I mean, the other person, like an hour before bed was already getting nervous. Like, oh God, I've got such a big day tomorrow. I've got to sleep well. Oh, do I have any sleeping pills left? Okay, I've got two left, but I need them, but I don't have a new prescription for another week. You're like, like this whole thing is going on that is not going on with the person who's six feet away from them. And unraveling that is, let's, be real. It's not really a medical thing at times. It's very much a psychological performance, Mm -hmm. mental state thing that 
we have to kind of unravel and, and reprogram. That's fascinating the way you outlined it. And totally, I mean, I think you're speaking to the role of trauma in someone's ability to self-regulate, especially at the time you're supposed to be sleeping, which is recovery time. As an athlete, yes. so important. The brain is recovering, the body is recovering. And then the trauma, because a majority of the athletes I work with, and I don't think I'm unique in this, 80 to 90% of them have some kind of trauma experience, whether it's childhood trauma, environmental trauma, whatever, and it impacts sleep. I mean, it's one of the first things I assess for when I'm wondering about the level of anxiety and depression in someone, because that's where sleep disturbance comes in. It doesn't mean if you have sleep disturbance, you are depressed or anxious, but it is one of the criteria to really take a look at. It's huge. I think sleep too can be, you talk about the personality flaw and mental health, it can be seen the same way. You know, like to have a mental health struggle or condition is like, you're not good enough or strong enough to manage it. So that is a judgment on you as a person because you don't know how to deal with that. Same thing with sleep. We just need skills. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think sleep carries quite the stigma that you deal with. I think it's more okay to have a sleep problem than a mental health problem. I think it's getting better. I think we are definitely working towards a normalization of anxiety, attention problems, depression, bipolar mood disorder. I think that's becoming a lot less stigmatized. But yeah, I think you work harder with your people than I would with sleep. You have narcolepsy. Well, that's weird, but it's a real thing. Depression is a real thing. Like, why did you say real thing? You know, there's no such thing as we're not dealing with unreal things here. Most people, I think mean, nine people out of 10 would rather have a shattered femur than anxiety because everybody sees it, everybody understands it, exactly. everybody feels sorry for it. People get it. There's something, oh, yeah, I made this great tackle and my bone was sticking out. And, yeah, oh, it's glorified. It's, it's glorifying. glorifying. That's yeah. a good thing, you know. I think so much, and I know you talked about it. I don't want to take this off in a different direction, but I just think so much about Simone Biles. Think about her all the time, not in a weird way. (laughs) 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 I think she's a wonderful person. Jen is a 50-year-old. Think about her all the time. Chris McMitter thinks about me all the time. I I reserve that for Jada. I think about Jada all the time, too. The cooking show person. But I think about Simone Biles all the time in the sense that, that it was the epitome of exactly what you were just talking about. Like, Nobody saw the injury or the trauma or the struggle or the, it was just this person who was destined to be great, weight of the world on her shoulders, on the cover of every magazine. She was the one person who was going to bring in 12, 38 golds or what you know, just, And she's like, mm, I'm going to step away from that. And I'm not in a great place right now. And I just think about that all the time. I think it's great. I haven't seen a lot of her lately. I would love to hear from her and just, but it was just what she was displaying, I thought was so admirable that. This is an Olympic competition. It's a game of checkers. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's no bigger, no worse. You're making it a big thing. But to me, it's a routine I've done a million times. And I'm just not feeling like I'm in a good place to do it. So I'm, I'm going to step away from it and not have another goal that will be less and less meaningful to me with every year that passes in my life. So I, mean, I think she's remarkable. Yeah. What she did and who she touches in that story and those stories and like who she's... I mean... What she's doing now, I don't know all, of course, I don't know all of what she's doing now, but I did see that she is the diversity and equity inclusion sort of president, I don't know the exact title, of a company that focuses on mental health. So I think that's cool. I need to do my research. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think the greats are kind of like that. It's not that they don't care about their sport, but it's not everything to them. 
I remember talking one time to Madison Bumgarner. I kept trying to ask him questions about stuff. And all he really wanted to talk about was competitive calf roping. Like, <laughs> it was the craziest thing. I'm like, man, you just had a performance for the ages. And he's like, I guess. But three days later, I probably would have been terrible. It just didn't register on his Richter scale. You know, weird. The weird and even when you watch that game, like I've watched it before, like that last game seven in that 2014 World Series, mm-hmm. he would come off the mound and just kind of sit in the dugout. And I remember my right. wife I remember asking, that. What, do you, she was like, what do you think he's thinking about? I said, <laughs> probably growing corn or competitive yeah. calf roping. I don't, I really don't think he's thinking, okay, three more innings and I'll be a legend. I, I genuinely don't <laughs> think that's what he's thinking about. It's what I would be thinking about. 27 more pitches. Yeah. Nine more outs, and I am a legend, or I could screw this whole thing up. And oh my God, I don't want to screw this thing up because this would be money, endorsements, future contracts, which is how I've always said, you know, to be great in athletes, you kind of have to be kind of forgetful and maybe yes. a little dumb, like just kind totally. of totally untouched. It. And I could never do that. You can't afford to do that. that. I know. That's why we're not great athletes because. That's right. No, it is. It's true. It's, it's fascinating. It's, it's forget about the pitching. It's just the. Where are you at mentally right now? And how can I buy a little bit of that for myself? Well, you know that they trained on that, whether they realize it or not. They learned that they can't afford to think about that way or else they're just going to turn into a puddle right there. And it's so cool that people like you can practice that with them. That's, again, Mm -hmm. skills. If you're not looking at it like a trade, it's something that you developed. And anyway, yeah, amazing. Exactly. So cool. I mean, I know that I often talk to my athletes about sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. How would you describe that? And what are some tips that anyone listening could use to, like, what is sleep hygiene for one? And what are yeah. some tips that can help in that area? Sleep hygiene is sort of setting a stage for your sleep to occur well. Or another way you could think about it is there are variables related to sleep that are under your control and you're doing a good job of controlling and managing. I mean, in a sports term, you're the manager. You're going to make sure the field is prepped and ready and there's not big rocks sitting there in the infield. Your players are well-fed. They're well-rested. They've got a game plan. Like, And then at some point, the manager just sits there looking kind of strange, this older man in a baseball uniform. And really, he's not doing much deciding where we're going to pull this player out and sub a new pitcher in and maybe pinch at somebody. Like, I love baseball because once it gets rolling... I mean, I'm sure that's not true. They're telling me to steal and what pitches to do. But for some yeah. it's the point, it's just kind of like, maybe basketball is a better analogy. Like, you know, you run this defense or do this defense or sub in and out. But like, at some point, you kind of relinquish that control. And I think that's kind of what sleep hygiene is, is you're getting your sleep ready and to be as good as it can be. Great schedule, comfortable bed, super awesome pajamas, maybe a little noise machine, a little lavender spray, your favorite pillow, your bedroom's clean, the bed's made, you know, all these great things. It's rooms dark, quiet, no computers. I'm drinking a little caffeine now, but you've cut that out appropriately before you go to bed. And then you've controlled what you can control. And for some people, that will make a huge difference in the way they sleep. I love kind of ritual. You're like a basketball player, like three dribbles and then I shake my right shoulder, exhale, and shoot it. I do it that way every time, and I've done it that way since I played AAU basketball in eighth grade. Like, you're kind of creating this thing where my body dribbles three times and shakes my right shoulder. It's time to make a free throw. 
I clear my mind and it's that little, I'm good at it. 93% free throw. And to me, that's kind of what's happening with good sleep hygiene is that the lights are dim. You're putting the computer away. You got your blue blocker glasses on. You've made your chamomile tea. You're watching the newest episode of Succession, you know, but the lights are turned down and like you have your rhythm that leads you to your bed every night versus Sometimes I go to bed at nine o'clock, fall asleep on the couch. Other times up till three o'clock in the morning. Sometimes I get up at six o'clock in the morning, exercise with friends. Sometimes I don't feel like I can sleep until noon. Like, that's terrible. Now your brain's like, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? I have no idea what your schedule is here. And so to me, it's just kind of controlling the things you control and understanding that that'll take you to a point. I could lift weights every day. I could run sprints. I could hit off a tee. I could do all these things. I still might not be able to make a roster here. So That's not the entire thing in terms of good sleep, but it's at least getting you to a point where you can say, I need a little help, but I'm doing what I can do. I'm holding up my end of the bargain. Now it's your job as the clinician, as the sleep expert to help me figure out something's missing here that I need help with. Oh, it's great. I mean, I think so many highlighted similarities in our professions in that we talk to our athletes about controlling the controllables in these different areas. I mean, it just reinforces a fact that sleep is a skill and a mental skill. And that what you're talking about when you gave the example of the basketball player prepping for a free throw and doing that same thing over and over is what we call a pre-shot routine. So it is called a pre-shot routine and mental skills training. So we're having a sleep routine. I'm coining the phrase pre-sleep routine that maybe people should do almost a little free throw dance before they go to bed every night. Like, <laughs> right. In addition to all the things I mentioned, I'm, I'm going to tinker with that and I'm attributing that to you. I like the idea of you, you look at the bed like you're a diver or a free throw and you just kind of do a little thing. You know, whatever your thing is, you know, you can, uh, I don't know, like whatever it kind of makes you feel empowered and exciting and you do it every night and, and your brain picks up, we call them sight givers little cues that, oh, when Chris is doing like a dance, then that means it's time to go to bed. And there you go. Like, and those things are really powerful. Totally. And I think the exact, (laughs) yeah, we should coin that. It's funny because again, in mental skills training, it is called a cue. The cue that you do that ignites your brain. You do it behaviorally that ignites your brain to like the next thing. And you do that over and over and you train on it. And then your brain just kind of falls into it. So yeah, the pre-shot routine, the pre-sleep routine with a little cue yep. in there. I think yep. it's awesome. I think it's awesome. We've been talking a lot about athletes. I appreciate that focus. I want to be able to highlight some of the great work you're doing currently. I know you just came out with a second book focusing on children in sleep and that can help parents. I mean, I'm a parent and truth be told, I mean, it's not just between me and you because everyone's going to listen to this, but I have a 14-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son and our six-year-old sleeps with us. I have a husband. So he sleeps. We have a California king. He sleeps with us. And I'm going to be totally transparent right now. Part of me loves it, him being there. And part of me hates him being there. That's um, okay. Yeah. There's no right or wrong answer there. <laughs> okay. And we have a deal when he turns seven, which is the end of January. And he agreed to this, that he's going to not be in our bed anymore. So we'll see how that goes. But And I'll say there's a big population of people out there. Now, in my book, I talk about creating the separation just because I've had a hundred people coming to me about kids in their bed. I don't meet a lot of families saying our kids are not in our bed and we want them there. Like, you know, I'm saying like it could happen, but you know, having a kid in your bed or a family bed is perfectly fine. Some people really like it. There's research that says it could be a really positive thing. As long as a kid's not in danger, like an infant. Yes. 
I don't think that it's a real problem. And there's, there's nothing better than like sleeping with a child, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like just kind of being there and telling stories and reading. And I mean, they won't be there forever. I know your daughter, is your daughter, isn't she a softball player? Yes, she is. They yeah, have so, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's fine. I mean, at some point, yeah, they need to kind of separate, but there's actually research that says perhaps the kids who are in a family bed may have less sleep problems growing up. I mean, it's kind of interesting research. There's some flaws to it, but whatever people want, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I think that's really helpful for a lot of people out there. I mean, what are the biggest takeaways right now? I know I want people to go out and check out your book, take a look at it, buy it. But what are some like big takeaways from your your most current book about sleep for kids? Well, I guess the first takeaway is that the book really covers kids from birth till rushing a sorority. Like it's really meant to be. When I told my publisher that was what I wanted to do for my second book, they're like, oh, I think the quote was, oh, there's so many books on kids and sleep. They're like, no, there's not. There's actually not many at all. There's books about how to get a baby to sleep through the night or take a good nap or more that sort of, you're the, like, like we were, here's your daughter. You've never had a kid before. Like, what the hell are we doing with this baby? I have no clue what to do here. We're in medical school. So that is sort of, to me, of the umbrella of kids sleep. It's a section of it. This is what you do with young kids and get their sleep on the right path and good things like that. And there's some wonderful books. Susie's book's wonderful and Dr. Ferber's books. There's a book for whatever you want out there. My book, I really wanted to focus on the lifespan of a child, your six-year-old, your older daughter, and highlight the fact that once you've got your kids sleeping through the night, you're not out of the woods when it comes to sleep problems. And I think there's this idea that, oh, we did it. You're high-fiving your partner and you're like, yes, they're taking two solid naps. They go down at eight o'clock. They don't wake up until seven and we did it. And everybody's praised. Oh my God, you're the best mother and father. Our kid's a terrible sleeper and you just nailed it. Nearly eight months old and sleeping through the night, like sleeping through the night. Man, that was the best. STTN, you know, like you nailed it. It's like a video game. Like, yeah, totally. we, got, we were sleeping through the night by eight We months. won. Rewind, yes. And I think that particularly, and this was all completely, again, sort of dumb coincidence that it happened during COVID that kids have a lot of sleep problems and COVID created an amplification of that problem like I've never seen. We consider childhood obesity in this country to be epidemic. It affects 19% of children. By conservative estimates, 50%, if not 66% of children between the time they're born till the time they head off to college will have some sort of sleep problem. 66%, two out of three. So these are not rare problems. And you look at the incidence of depression, ADHD, obesity, diabetes, whatever condition you think is common in kids, sleep problems dwarf them. And so you've got the triple whammy, extremely common very difficult to diagnose. Like, oh, we didn't notice our child was morbidly obese, said nobody. Like, you see it. Like, we've noticed they put on a lot of weight. They're much bigger than their peers. And these are very obvious problems. Depression maybe is a little bit more difficult to pick up on. But sleep problems are really hard in kids because we have this idea that if you've got a sleep problem, you're just going to fall asleep in class. And kids can often look Very different than that. They're hyperactive. They can be extremely inattentive. It can affect mood like you were talking about before. It can look like depression. Our kid sleeps all the time. He doesn't want to do anything. He just comes home from school, goes right to bed. Oh, clearly he's depressed. Maybe or he might have a sleep disorder. And then the third part of that problem is that 
there's very few people who really have any kind of training in it. So you take your kid, oh, my kid comes home from school every day for the past two years and just goes right to bed and he's falling asleep in school. You know, there's a one out of four shot that the doctor you're talking to has never had any sleep training whatsoever. So even though it's some of the most commonly brought up problems in the medical community, which is, you know, it's one thing, well, I don't know anything about your son's fetish with women's footwear. Nothing wrong with that. It's just a bit more niche than what I deal with. To not know anything about a sleep problem, kid who's excessively sleepy or can't sleep, is ignoring a massive portion of your... And I, t- I talked to a couple pediatricians who were directors of big pediatric you know, program, training programs. And they're like, we don't have it. Like One of them even said, he goes, oh my God. He goes, our training program, or what did he say? He said, because I think our program consists of melatonin gummy bears, meaning that kid can't sleep, melatonin gummy bear, kid wetting the bed. Oh my God. And walking around outside naked, you know, and not having any memory of it, melatonin gummy, like, and he was joking, but he was kind of like, yeah, it's just, we don't deal with that. It's mm-hmm. almost like, we think that's psychiatry. And psychiatry said, no, 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 that'd be neurology. Neurology said, no, 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 that's pediatrics. And like, nobody sort of owns it. And so, no one owns it. Mm-hmm. you know, your parents, so I was just kind of like, you know, is this write a great book, a fun book for parents to read so that they could educate themselves about sleep and maybe recognize something in a kid and be able to advocate for a kid if it ever happened to them? Yes. No, I think that's great. I think it's so important and valuable. I think that ownership piece is tough because then who really can claim the research and the practice of it to help people. Yeah. And you know, while you were talking, I think there's so many ways that this impacts all families with athletes in them at different places. Like the parent could be an athlete and this impacts them, just like the story about the NBA player. It could be a sibling. So yeah, it, yeah. You know, it could be your And parent. we say that all the time. Like when I work with a team, I'm working with not only the nuclear team, but I have all the time a player come out like, I mean, I don't have any problem, but my wife does this. And yes. I tell them all the time, I don't mind being the bad guy or the person who's bringing it up. Like, oh, honey, I don't mind that you snore and sound like you're killing small animals at night, but this guy over here thinks it might cause you to have a stroke and I don't want you to have a stroke, but I love your snoring. Like, and he's like, man, you've got to help me because I can't hear out of this ear anymore because she is so loud at me. Or like, I remember one time we were at spring training, the team sponsored a dinner for all the spouses and the partners and the kids to come. And I just gave a fun lecture about sleep. And then we ate burgers and they could come up and ask questions. And it was awesome. So yeah, you're absolutely right. My sleep is dramatically affected by my family. I mean, yes. even in normal things, you're picking up your daughter from your travel softball game and having fun, but it impacts your sleep too. Like, oh, we're driving to Philly this weekend for a tournament. Okay, well, I was hoping to catch up on my sleep because I had a few projects due or some things due, but I guess I'll be in the car going to Philly to watch softball, which is awesome. But everybody's kind of intertwined there. I remember one time I was working with an NBA player from another country and the team said, we've got a problem his wife just had a baby. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Is the baby problematic? They're like, no, but in his country, it's tradition for his side of the family and the wife's side of the family to come and live with the daughter who's had the baby and help take care and do stuff. So like these Eastern European families had descended upon this town and were living in their little two-bedroom, you know, so he wouldn't leave the training center. <laughs> 
Like, wow. He's like in there looking for something to eat and he's working on his free throws and like, man, you need to go home and be with your family. It's like, no, it's not a great place for me right now. Yeah, I not can't rest. That. It was just like the yeah. whole situation oh was going on and I just can't make these things up. There's so much fun to work on. No, it's great. Again, these are real life humans with families. With Absolutely. There are. Yes. I mean, yes. you know, and we figure out ways to cope. He's trying to like get away and try to rest and have some peace and quiet and maybe sleep. Yeah. But with all of them there, it's not really possible. That's but right. I love the stories. I love the real life experiences. I mean, you've done a lot of work. You've touched many people. I love it. I know there's room for us to continue to collaborate. So I appreciate those opportunities. And I've been asking you a bunch of questions. Is there anything you want to make sure that you say to anyone who's listening about sleep, the value of it, any tips, anything? No, I mean, I just appreciate the platform. I guess what I would say, one of my least favorite phrases is can't sleep. And so I guess what I would say is I'm deputizing everybody kind of listening to this podcast. And if you've got a friend and everybody does, like Gladys in HR, this guy work at the shop and always talking about how he can't sleep, that you can. It would be nice if in a kind and supportive way, he said, you know, Carl, you always talk every morning about how you didn't sleep at night. And you can. There's so many good books out there and resources and things that we shouldn't allow people to suffer because what happens is over time, it transforms from a problem to an identity. I'm the guy that can't sleep. Lisa's this amazing mental performance person I work with. And then I got Jonathan over here who makes the most amazing Italian food. When you go over to his house, he's incredible. And I just believe that every kid and adult has to have something. You're going to create an identity in some way. And we hopefully it's positive. And I think for some people who really go to bleak places with their sleep or really struggling in need of help, they stop looking and it almost transforms into their thing. You know, I'll never be a great chef. I'll never be Lisa and have this amazing situation that she's got. But by God, I can be the person with the worst sleep in the world and tell everybody about it. And, you know, I think that we should really help people and point them in the right direction. And that's what's so fun about what I do and writing some books and getting some, it just makes my day. It's well like social media. Every now and then I get this post, some random post from some random place in the world. It's like, I read your book and it changed my life. Like, I almost feel like taking the rest of the week off. Like, I'm done for the week. Like, yeah. Mountain such and such is life in Portland, Oregon. And I just love it. And even somebody says, I didn't like your book. I you know, always find something positive out of that too. But yeah. it's nice to be able to touch people. And it's nice to be able to talk to you on here and, and maybe reach a few more. It's what doctors are just trying to do. We're just trying to help people. That's for sure. Yes. No, I love it. I love it. Super valuable. Like, our behaviors don't define who we are. That's right. It's like, I always be better. Yes. It's like almost, I don't have the skills I need to sleep the way I want versus I can't sleep. Two different things. That's exactly right. That's exactly, and you know, I always tell people, there's no such thing as can't sleep. It's like, I can't breathe. Well, that's a terrible thing to say. God, when you can't breathe, you die. I think we figure that out very clearly. And so- can't eat, can't drink water, can't sleep. These are not things compatible with a human existence. Yes. So we always want to be using the words. Like, instead of saying, I can't sleep, how about say, I'm not sleeping to my satisfaction or I feel mm-hmm. 
a certain sense of unease with my sleep or, you know, because that, now all of a sudden you started down a more constructive path, you know, versus when we talk in those ways, you would think, well, what's the harm? Well, look at Michael Jackson. He is king of pop is telling doctors, I can't sleep and I'm getting ready to embark on this big tour. I got a lot of anxiety in my life and doctor, we killed him. We, I mean, doctors killed Michael Jackson. There's no two ways around it. And he was looking towards a medical community for an expertise. He had a real problem. He really needed help. But his problem was that he was not that he couldn't sleep. That was not Michael Jackson's problem. It's not anybody's problem. But when we don't redefine what we're doing and we rely on people to redefine for us, like doctors, it may not happen. Mm. And I ask doctors all the time, like, why did you give this patient this drug? Well, he said he couldn't sleep. Well, do you know that's not possible? And what did you do to investigate that? What questions did you ask? And I didn't. He said he couldn't sleep and I may be nervous, so I drugged him. <laughs> you know, so wow. a long ways to go, but talking yeah. and communicating and just getting the word out directly to people is the way you do it, I think. I agree. And I know there's lots of other things you could be doing on this evening and you chose to spend it here and touching the people that listen. And that is very, very much appreciated. This conversation will touch people. So I appreciate it. I really do. Anytime. And, and I know you mean that because I've cashed in on that. And, and, <laughs> and you, you I, I, listen, I'm not good at many things, but I love to talk about sleep with a willing audience. So. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so much so, to learn and so much to gain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the more we talk about it in positive, fun ways and make it engaging and make it seem approachable, like, it's kind of what it's all about. Like, you've got answers. You've got answers for people who are struggling with performance issues, mental health issues. And it's fun to be able to kind of talk about those because, like you said, if it touches one person, there's no reason why that person could be sitting around at a dinner party at some point and say, hey, listen, this is what really worked for me. Like, I really started to get my schedule together some AM exercise. Chris talked about some light and you're really trying to get a lot of light in the morning and watch out. And I just really cut alcohol out of my life and it's changed my sleep forever. Maybe that works for the next person. Maybe it doesn't, but it gets them in that problem solving mode versus I'm 38, can't sleep and I'm screwed. Yeah. So it's what we want. We'll go back to your word, empowering. Yes. Empower people. This is, it's not like a secret. It's you can do it. Everybody out there can sleep. And if you can't, somebody out there can help you. There's a sleep specialist within 20 miles of you that's a star and they're all over the place and they're really good people. I've never met a a terrible sleep person. (laughs) (laughs) Great people. They just really are like... Well, if they're anything like you, I believe it. And I really appreciate it. I look forward to staying in touch and thank you for everything that you lent to this space and your knowledge, your humor your humanity and i really appreciate it so thank you so much absolutely i'd love to connect with you next time out in the bay area one of my favorite things about our sports epreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports we hope you enjoyed the conversation if you want to connect more hit us up on instagram at sports epreneur thank you for listening to this cad source production the sports epreneur podcast the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. 
The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.